0: Listening to a recent sermon from a Covenant Church worship experience. For more information, you can find us online at covenantchurch.us. God is light, and we are told in Scripture that we can actually know Him. This message is from part four of our series, The Unknowable God, where we are learning that God wants us to know Him and to be in fellowship with Him. And now, here is our lead pastor, Pastor Travis Davenport. Good morning. How are we doing today? Doing good. You're looking good. Man, it's just a good energy in the room today. It is awesome Sunday after Sunday worshiping with, with you, with, with my family, with my friends. I love it. And uh, today was, uh, man, just worship was, was awesome today, right? I mean, the seventh grade me wants to say it was off the chain. Um, that's how far it was the Mac Daddy of worship sessions. That's all I can say. Seventh grade me, right? Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, good morning. It's good to see you today. Come on. So we are, we are in the fourth week of, uh, we're wrapping up of this series called The Unknowable, Knowable God. It's been an awesome series, I, I think, going through the book of 1 John. And last week, if you weren't here, just to catch you up to speed. Um, and by the way, if you ever aren't here, I know none of you would ever miss a Sunday morning. I know that. Um, but if you ha- find yourself in some terrible situation, trapped in a building and you can't get to church um, on a Sunday morning, don't worry, you can always catch up um, with the latest sermons and whatnot on our podcast, Covenant Church. But last week, we, were, we spent some time talking about the fact that Jesus is our advocate and our propitiation. Would you just say advocate, advocate. and say propitiation. propitiation? Yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that Jesus continually, as our advocate, continually presents himself, presents rather the evidence of the cross and his death uh, on our behalf for our sin. That's good news, right? Yes. And the very fact that Jesus is our propitiation, the, the fact that in the moment that Christ hung on the cross, the moment that he was being beaten, was being mocked, was being whipped, the scripture says literally that he uh, came up under a curse, that he literally became sin for us. We call that our propitiation. The fact that Jesus took the full measure of wrath from God. <laughs> instead of us. On our behalf, Jesus became sin. We, we, we talked about the fact that uh, God, the creator, created. And because of sin, his creation was separated. And so a debt was owed. Something had to be paid to cover uh, that gap, to bridge that gap. And so Jesus becomes our propitiation to anyone who would accept him. This is good news, right? I mean, I mean, I, I feel like this is something that we as as, as people who are Christ's followers should celebrate. The fact that where once there was no hope because of Jesus, we can know God. Where once there was no salvation because of Jesus, now we can know salvation. Are you with me? Because there was truly uh, not a great definition of mercy, now because of Jesus, there is mercy. There is grace. There is forgiveness. There is salvation. There's the fact that we can know this seemingly once- unknowable God. We can have assurance that God will never leave us or forsake us. You gotta get with me this morning. Are you with me? Yes, amen? This is good news. Uh, other good news, in my opinion, while we're on the good news train. Um, man, over the past few weeks, if I can just talk in-house for a minute, over the past few weeks, it's it's been incredible to see what God has been doing in our church. Um, just over the last two weeks alone, we've seen nearly 30 people who have made decisions to follow Jesus Christ, who literally have, have prayed to accept Christ, cutting up and walked out and sat down and prayed with pastors and with leaders about their next steps in Jesus. Nearly 30 people coming to Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and especially in the summertime, when like nobody comes to church, that's amazing. That's amazing news. Don't forget the reason that we exist. We we exist as a church to seek and save the lost. So it is awesome when when God begins to bring that to fruition. And and you know what, to be honest with you, jumping into today, seeing people come to Jesus would have been nothing new to John, right? Seeing seeing people come to Jesus would have been nothing new for John. uh, John had walked with Jesus, John had talked with Jesus, John um, would have seen the ascension of Jesus Christ, but not only that, John was a part of the first church. Can you imagine that, the first church? People are like, well, what other churches do? There are no other churches. We can do whatever we want. Okay, that's crazy, right? It's just an awesome thing. We, we know this because of the, the book of Acts. We read this in, in uh, John's letters themselves. John had witnessed thousands of people give their lives to Jesus just in one day. Thousands of thousands of people come to Christ in one day. John had seen miracles take place in his presence. John had seen miraculous and incredible church growth like the church had never seen, like we've never seen before. John had seen it all. Can you imagine living in those days? John saw incredible things. And then something happened. Then something took place. In fact, The something that happens, the something that happens, is one of the main reasons John is writing this, this very letter that we're reading today. What happened, what happened was, (laughs) was that a group of people who had, quote, followed Jesus early on in John's ministry had now risen up and gone out from them. Now, this wouldn't have been, uh, I guess, a huge deal but, but, but what took place was they didn't just leave. They had left, and now they were preaching and teaching what they called a new gospel. Um, these, quote, Christians that we'll talk about more in depth in the next few weeks were out, outside of this church now preaching a new gospel, and, 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 and we call them the Gnostic Christians. And if you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to write a couple of these things down. The key traits of these Gnostic Christians were as follows. Number one, they were overly spiritual. Like to over-spiritualize everything. Number two, another trait of a Gnostic, quote, Christian, was that they were overly religious in some very strange ways. And the third attribute, the third trait of these Gnostic Christians is that they taught that, that the life that one leads has no bearing on their standing before God. In other words, these Gnostic Christians thought that as long as they practiced the traditions, right, as long as they did some of the same things that Christians did, i.e. show up to church, uh, tithe and give to church, serve in a church, as long as they did those things, then because Jesus had died for, for sin, then they could live however they wanted to live outside of the church. As long as they looked like a Christian. As long as they talked like a Christian, as long as they walked like a Christian in some regard, they could live however they wanted to outside, and they were solid. They were good. Now, of course, this is an issue that John was dealing with over 2,000 years ago in his church. Uh, This, of course, bears little relevance to us today, right? (laughs) I mean, John was dealing with people who showed up to church and thought that that's the thing that would save them. John was dealing with people who showed up to church and gave money and thought that was the thing that, that would save them. John was dealing with people who, who went through the motions. They worshiped the church, in church. They, they prayed, they gave, but once outside, they lived however they wanted to live and they thought that they were good. The fact of the matter is, I cannot think of any more irrelevant topic, of a relevant topic to speak on than this in today's culture. Are you with me? Would you agree? Yeah. Uh, So without further ado, I like to put that word in where I can. Let's uh, let's see what John has to say with this. Open up or turn on to 1 John chapter 2. Of course, we spent some time last week looking at the first few verses, and I'm going to start there, but then we're going to read up to verse 6. If you're listening in, uh, by podcast driving down a road, please don't turn on your Bible, just listen. Here we go, starting in verse one. My little children, this is John speaking to the church. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, I love it, what's it say? The righteous. That's so bad. Isn't that just just show the, the glory of Jesus Christ? What's your name? Jesus Christ the righteous. That is awesome. What's his nickname? The righteous. One of many. I love it. Jesus Christ the righteous. And it, and it says this, he is the propitiation for our sins. Say propitiation. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And so now we're getting to the thick of it now. Starting verse three. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, being Jesus, walked. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. We glorify you. We praise your name. I pray that you would speak to us from this text. Lord, that you would truly challenge our hearts, that you would change us from the inside out. You are glorious. You are amazing. Your Holy Spirit does miraculous things when we are in His presence. May he move me, convict me. This morning, you tear down walls that we have put up. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Now, I believe that because I am a dad, because I'm a father, I have a duty, nay, an obligation to to do a couple things. One of which is to expose my children to the brutal realities of nature. Would you agree with me? Uh, So I believe it is my obligation to have my children sit on my lap and watch as a crocodile springs from the depths of the murky river up to clamp down on the haunches of a water buffalo and drag it to its watery grave. I believe that's my obligation. Are you with me? Yeah? (laughs) I believe that it is my obligation as as a father with a a young daughter to to have her sit on my knee and for us to simultaneously watch as an anaconda gently coils itself around a capybara. It's an animal, look it up, until it squeezes the life out of him before uh, eating it head first. Beautiful, beautiful thing. I believe that it's, it's, it's my obligation as a dad to, to sit with my young boys and watch as, as a lion jumps out of basically nowhere and goes for the neck, for the jugular of a zebra before eating him. I think that it is, it is my honor, I think it is my duty, I think it's my obligation. I'm talking predator and prey, are you with me? I'm talking predator and prey, I'm talking hunter and hunted, I'm talking life and death. <laughs> And I think this is what John is saying. I think this is exactly what John is getting after in the same way, I think he feels the same way. He starts addressing the church as little children, but then by verse four, something shifts. By verse four, John goes straight for the jugular. He doesn't mince words, he doesn't kind of you know soft shoe or walk on eggshells, he goes straight for it, and you got to love that about John. We love people that just shoot straight, don 't we? Yes? And so we love John because he shoots it straight and, and John will not be hunted, but rather John will be the hunter. That deserves a man grunt, I would say right? uh that's good. John will be the hunter he 's attacking his problems straight on. Uh, notice what he says in verse four, look at this now this is the this is the statement that he 's going for the Yeah, for the death kill right here. He says, whoever says, I know him. Speaking of God, speaking of Christ. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a what? It's a liar. You've been called a liar before. Not like, man, you're such a liar. I'm talking about someone calling you out. You are a liar. You have that. That's, those are some hard words. And yet John says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, John lays down the gauntlet as he calls out these false teachers and this, this false gospel. He says, listen, this is what he says. Listen, if you claim to know Jesus, but you don't do what Jesus has told you to do, you're a liar. If you claim to know Jesus, but, but, but you don't live the way that Jesus has commanded you to live, you're a liar. And what's more, the truth is not in you. Now, on the uh, onset, it it looks like John is kind of repeating himself. You're a liar. The truth is not in you. But the fact is, John is making two separate claims here. First and foremost, he is saying that you're a liar. That's pretty easy. You're a liar. There it is. You tell false things. You say false things. But then secondarily, um, but I would say primarily, he, he actually makes a strong statement. He says the truth is not in you. Can we just show John 14, 6 for a moment? Look at this verse, the words of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6. Listen to these words. Jesus said to him, I am the way and I am the what? The truth. And I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, what you have to realize about truth is that truth is not a thing. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus What John is saying here is, you're a liar. If you say you know Jesus, but you don't keep his commands, you're a liar and you don't know Jesus. Got a little bit deeper, didn't it? Got a little bit stronger. One thing to call somebody a liar. Another thing to say, you don't know Jesus. But back to our text. Uh, Right after this, John quickly presents two self, I guess, diagnostic tests, if you will, um, to to, to see if one knows Jesus. Did you catch them? Look at verse three. Verse three, here's the first one. Verse three says this, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we, number one, if we keep his commands, Then he jumps over to the second test in verse five. He says, by this we may know that we are in him, verse six, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he, being Jesus, walked. Two tests to find out if you truly are a follower of Christ. Number one, do you do what Jesus commands? Number one, do you do what Jesus commands? Number two, Do you walk as Jesus walked? In other words, are you someone who is simply a fan of Jesus or are you somebody who is actually a follower of Jesus? Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? Now, just to kind of give you a little bit of historical context on my life, um, because you're so deeply interested. um, I grew up in in a deeply religious home. Anybody grew up in a deeply religious home? You would say, I mean, it was deeply, deeply religious. You know what I mean by saying deeply religious, right? Like we rooted, we were, we were religious about rooting for God's team, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Religi- I mean, it was a religious experience. Anybody, anybody like that in here? Now there there's the hands. Yeah, that yeah, gets you there. Um, Yeah, I mean, we we, we grew up knowing their stats, knowing their players, knowing their coaches. It was nothing to sit around the dining room table every night and to talk about the upcoming game and and the coaches' decisions. And we went to games. And what games we couldn't get to, we watched on TV surrounded by friends. The the Buckeyes and the watching of the Ohio State Buckeyes football team was truly a religious experience for me and my family and, and really still is to this day. But here's the truth. No matter how big of a fan I was or or am or my family was or or is, the truth is this. I have never strapped on an Ohio State Buckeyes football helmet and taken the field. I know that might come as a shock. That's never happened. I I, I have never been under the tutelage of Woody Hayes. The best I will ever be when it comes to the Ohio State Buckeyes is a fan. That's it. That's the best that I will be. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's that's an okay thing. I'm just saying that's the best that I will ever be. I am a fan. And what John is trying to say here is that, listen now, don't miss this. What John is trying to say here is that when it comes to, to Jesus Christ, sitting in the stands and being a fan is not enough. It is not to simply be a fan of Jesus Christ. Rather, you must be a follower. See, John was dealing with a lot of these overly religious Gnostic Christians who thought that if they followed the traditions, they were good. Oh, this is obviously so much different than than today in our society, in our culture, right? They thought that if they followed the traditions that they were good, the religious traditions, they thought that, you know, that they were, they were saved. And let me just cut to the chase. Let me ask you this question. Are you a fan of Jesus or are, you, or are you a follower? And you might say, well, I'm a follower. Okay, okay. Well, let me take it a step deeper. Are you a follower of a religion that talks about Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus himself? So now I'm not just asking, are you a fan of Jesus I'm actually asking, what kind of follower are you? You say, "I'm not i I'm a follower." Okay, are you a follower of a religion that teaches Jesus, or are you a follower of Jesus Christ Himself? Because I want to make a statement I think is very bold, and I think is very true. Religion alone will never get you to God. Are you with me? Yes. Religion alone will never get you to God. Religion alone will never save you. Do you know why? Because following religion will only lead you to one of a couple places. Number one, A, it will lead you to pride. Look how good I am. I kept all those rules, did all those commandments. Look how many times I showed up to church this last year. I am one amazing Christian. Look how much I've prayed. I bet nobody prays as much as I pray. I fasted last week. I didn't even tell anybody about it. I bet nobody fasts like I fast. I bet nobody has a relationship like I have with Jesus. Look how amazing I am. Look at me, 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 me. I'm better than that person. I'm better than that person for sure. I'm definitely better than them. Lead you to pride. The other place that religion will lead you to is despair. Why can't I get this right? I've tried this so many times. And I keep failing. What's wrong with me? Why can't I get this? Why do I keep screwing it up? Look at that person, they get it. God, why, why are they getting it? Why am, why am I not, what is wrong with, with me? Listen, church, following religion will not save you. In fact, the only thing it will get you is death. Following religion will lead you to death. But do you know what happens when we follow Jesus? we get life. Let me just come over here and say that. I just had something. When we follow Jesus, we get life. Do you know why? Because following Jesus always leads to life. Following Jesus Christ doesn't lead to death. Following Jesus always leads to life where religion tells us to change this and change this and change this and then you'll be accepted, Jesus says, I accept you for who you are. I accept you for where you are and how you are. Just come as you are and let me change you. Where religion says to try harder, do better, be better, and show that you are worthy of my forgiveness, Jesus says, it doesn't matter how hard you try. You'll never get there. That's why I went there for you. So just come as you are. I've already forgiven you. Religion says, if you want love, you must first be obedient. (laughs) I love Jesus on this one. Jesus says, what are you talking about? I loved you first. In fact, I loved you even when you were in your disobedience. I loved you even when you were in your sin. Even when you were in a state to not love me, I loved you so much that I came and died for you. So just come as you are. Let's start at love and let our obedience flow from that. I guess if you were looking for a phrase, you could say it like this. Religion kills and Jesus saves. Religion will kill you, but Jesus will save you. Are you with me? Do you agree with me on that? Yeah. Because so many of us live our life Trying to become more religious, I gotta check off this box. I gotta do this. I gotta do that. And uh, uh, Jesus is gonna be mad at me. I gotta uh, get all up in arms trying to. And Jesus is like, man, we're, are you following me? Are you following some falling into line for some religious system? Now, I guess we have to be careful though that we don't swing all the way to the opposite side because John does make a point here that we can't miss. Um, Something is required of us in following Jesus. It's not that just we raise our hands and pray a prayer and then leave unchanged. No, not that at all. Um, It's not enough just to call ourselves followers of Jesus and go on our way. The fact of the matter is something must change in our lives. When we meet Jesus Something should be interrupted. Otherwise, we are no better than the very people that John is writing this letter to. John says that we must keep his commandments. And John says that we must walk as Jesus walked. This now becomes the scorecard. The scorecard is, am I keeping his commandments and am I walking as Jesus walked? Am I keeping his commandments and am I walking as Jesus walked? Walk. Now, keep in mind that John, at this point in time, he's talking to a group of, of, of you know, this very, a congregation that is very heavily um, Jewish or formerly Jewish, people who have now converted to Christianity. So the language here that he is using would have been uh, recognized immediate, immediately by a Jewish culture. We, we miss it. We miss it here. We're not a Jewish culture here in a, in a, in a church on a Sunday morning. But, but these people would have gotten it. Um, what we might have glanced over is this phrase, are you walking in the way that Jesus walked? He's referring to something very specific. Now, obviously, Jesus walked in mercy. Jesus walked in, in love and truth and peace and, and justice. These are all true. But he's, re, he, he's referring something specific. He's referring to the way a rabbi would walk something very specific. See, when a rabbi, because keep in mind, Jesus was a rabbi, when a rabbi would walk somewhere, a rabbi would never walk alone. Do you know that? In fact, just to kind of um, talk about this for a minute, a rabbi would always have disciples, they were called Talmudin. And a rabbi would go to the temple, and, and he would select the best of the best. The best of the best. And he would say, I want that person to follow me. I want you. Yeah, you. I want you to follow me. You. I want you to follow me. You. No, 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 no. You're not. I don't want you to follow me. Um, I want you to carry out my legacy. So you five, come on. You 10, you 12, whatever. You follow me. They would choose. Interestingly enough, Jesus is a legitimate certified rabbi. Where does Jesus go to call his disciples, his Talmudim? Where does he go? Does he go to the institution? Does he? Does he go to the schools? No. Does he go to the universities? No. Do you know where Jesus goes? To the beach. How awesome is that, right? Here's why it's amazing. Jesus goes to call people that weren't good enough to be called by other rabbis. Those are the disciples that Jesus goes after. You wonder how is it that somebody dropped their nets and their craft and everything and followed Jesus? It's because they got to follow a rabbi. This was their lifelong dream. They thought their dreams were gone. They were now fishing. And you're like, that sounds awesome. Not in that day and time. All day, all night, out in a boat with other sweaty, hairy guys, throwing a net, hauling in fish. It's not awesome, okay? And they come coming to shore and Jesus says, a well-known rabbi, and Jesus says, throw your nets down, follow me. And they look at each other and they're like, whoa oh, yeah. This is the greatest thing, and Jesus calls and and they follow Jesus. Now, now here's the thing. There was this phrase that that religious leaders would say to these Talmudin. They would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now, what's so interesting about this phrase points out, it it shows that these Talmudin, these disciples, were supposed to follow so closely behind their rabbi that as their rabbi walked and kicked up sand or dirt, that they would be covered in his dust. See, it wasn't enough for a disciple just to have knowledge about their, their, their master, their rabbi. They didn't just want to be like him. They wanted to be him. You understand the difference? They didn't just want to be like him. They wanted to be him. So, so this is what it meant. that They would have the same mannerisms. They would literally study their rabbi. They'd watch how he interacted with people, and then they would do it. They would watch how their rabbi would eat food, then they would, they would watch, they would look, and then they would eat food the same way. They'd watch how they prayed and what movements they made and listened very keenly, and then they would emulate it exactly. Everything. They would, they would try to sleep in the same way. They would, they would try to walk in the same way. Every single thing. They didn't just wanna be like their rabbi, they wanted to be their rabbi. That's what it means to be a follower. Anything less is a fan. So let me ask you, church, are you a fan or are you a follower? Don't confuse knowing about Jesus with knowing Jesus. You catch that? Don't confuse knowing about Jesus with knowing Jesus, because there is a a difference between knowledge of Jesus and intimacy with Jesus. Having intimacy with Jesus, truly knowing Jesus, means that you will live a life interrupted. If you know Jesus, your life can't be anything but interrupted. You cannot encounter Jesus in a saving manner and leave unchanged. It is just not possible. Jesus will begin to shape you. Jesus will begin to mold you. Jesus will begin to to, to move you. Jesus will ask you to do things, to go to places, to talk to people that you don't want to talk to, places you don't want to go, give up things you don't want to give up. And for many of you this morning, I've got to be honest with you. Some of you are in a place where years ago you refused to go when Jesus told you to go. You have refused to give up things that Jesus has called you to give up. And you have thought that if you just show up to church, if you just kind of keep reading the Bible, if you just kind of have a a prayer life that's there sometimes, but, but, but you don't really have an intimacy with Jesus, you think you're good. But do you know what John says? He says you're a liar and that the truth is not in you. John says, not only do you, or if you don't keep his commandments, are you a liar, but Jesus is not in you. In other words, you are just a fan. You're just, simply put, a fan. You happily cheer on Jesus and the church from the stands. You like Jesus. You read the Bible. You might even, you might even pray. You show up to church. But the truth is, you are not in the game. You hear me? You are not in the game. You are a fan. Now, let me just take it just one step deeper. Am I asking you this question? What, What is different about you than this world? Huh? What separates you from anybody else in this world? I mean, can we just be just very honest this morning? Because the fact of the matter is most likely you talk the same way that this world talks, that, that, that we walk the same way that this world walks. We, we go to the same places this world goes to. We, we date the same way this world dates. We have sex with our boyfriend or girlfriend the same way this world does. I mean, that, that's honest, that's truthful. And yet we call ourselves followers of Jesus. What is different about you? What is it? What is different about you? And and I'm I'm talking to the gentleman who who has been knowing Jesus now for 20 plus years, who has students in high school or or maybe they've graduated and you've grown up in church and now your kids have grown up in church. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter the length of time. If you're still a fan, you're not in the game. And the truth is not in you. And you're a liar. And maybe the one you're lying to is yourself. We're so prideful. So arrogant, aren't we? Aren't we? Some of us, we, we followed maybe a different denomination or a different, I don't know, line of, line of thought. Of, we, we, we thought maybe if I just become very religious, if I, if I just do this and if I, if I do this and if I, if I do this, then I can check off that box. If I go to church this much, if I, if I read this many times, then, then I will be good. And that will, no, 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 you're just a fan. You're just a fan. It's about Jesus. Do you get me, church? Are you with me? It's about Jesus. It's only ever been about Jesus. It will only ever be about Jesus. And you can know everything about Jesus, but not know Jesus. And I refer to this scripture maybe way too often, but, but I just it, it terrifies me for you and for, for our culture and for our church. When Jesus says that someday people will stand before me and say, Lord, I've done many works in your name. I've prayed to you. I've done this, I've done that. And Jesus says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I do not know you. And he casts them into darkness. How can it be, friend, that somebody can think they know Jesus, but not know him? Because they've spent their life as a fan, quoting every stat, every statistic, Every miracle, they know the verses, but they don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we surrender everything to him. So it means to be a follower. Perfection is not the mark of salvation. John says this in verse one. He says, I'm not writing these things to you. that you, you know, I, I know you're going to sin. And when you do sin, You have an advocate through Jesus, the righteous. So perfection is not the mark of of a Christian, but rather the fact that we should be coming more and more like Jesus each and every day. Are you with me? Are you hearing me? The fact that when we fall, we, we get back up through the strength of Jesus, and we, we try to keep his commandments, and we work to keep his commandments, and we work to become more like Jesus each and every day. That we're constantly crucifying our flesh. That we're saying, this is not about me anymore, Jesus. This is now about you. It's not about you. I gotta ask you, are you a fan or are you a follower? Listen to me this morning. Do, don't you dare get up and leave out those doors today with a question in your mind of whether you're a fan of Jesus or a follower. Get it right now. Get it right, right now. Don't let pride stand in the way. Thank you for listening to this message from our series, The Unknowable God at Covenant Church. We hope you've been impacted by what you've heard today. Visit us online at covenantchurch.us For more information and to listen to more impactful sermon audios just like this.